Hey, hey, what up? It's Podcast Rebellion. We are back at it again here in the Second Line Studio, coming to you a couple days tardy for our Outback Bowl Hangover Edition. Uh, not much of a hangover because the Rebels. I mean, I guess you could say shock the world. Uh, Not many people thought that they would go uh, into Raymond James Stadium and knock off the number 11 ranked Indiana Hoosiers, but that is exactly what they did. So we are here. We're going to recap that. And uh, we have our good buddy David Brandt of the Associated Press here to recap it all. David, welcome in. How are you? Doing well. How are you guys? You know, uh, just putting the uh, finishing touches on the – First season with Lane Kiffin. I'm excited to get your thoughts <clears throat> more on, I guess, the full encapsulation of the season in the second segment. We're going to talk Outback Bowl first, but I do want to go ahead and get it out of the way. I know you've been out there for, I guess, two years now. Do you miss the cold from the Midwest, or are you good out there in Arizona? You know, one thing that actually surprised me about Arizona is it gets a little cooler than I thought. Like, I don't miss, like, the super cold Midwestern ice, you know, anything under 20, no thanks. Um, mm-hmm. that's good. But, you know, out in Phoenix, it's, you know, the days are nice. It's in the 60s or sometimes even today it was like 71. But at night it cools off into the 30s and the 40s and, you know, you can wear a jacket. And so it's not like, it's not as tropical as, say, like Miami is in, in the winter. So you get a little taste of it. So, I, I mean, I, that's kind of a long-winded answer to say, no, I don't really miss it. I, I like you know, I like it to cool off a little, but I could pretty much never see snow again and be totally fine with that. And if I, <laughs> I could drive an hour and a half north and go to Flagstaff and there's plenty of snow up there. <laughs> so speaking of cooling off, we're going to talk about the opposite. Um, I, I We were saying this before we started. I thought Ole Miss and the offense was going to cool off. And I thought that Tom Allen and Kane Womack and the Hoosiers would, would have a, a plan and you know, Corral was going to be a little bit shorthanded with the opt-outs. No Elijah Moore, no Kenny Oboa. Braylon Sanders was banged up. He didn't play. Jerry Neely didn't play. Um, I was fully anticipating the Hoosiers uh, getting it done with defense, winning a tight one. Ole Miss had some, some other ideas. Um, I mean, just what were your thoughts watching that game? Uh, I guess it was super early for you. Um, but getting that first bowl victory since the Sugar Bowl – January 1st, 2016. Well, it was just, it was the cap on a season that I I think in, in most regards, it it really couldn't have gone like realistically couldn't have gone a whole lot better, especially in the midst of a pandemic, uh, you know, and all these things I, you know, tooting my own horn. I was on back in, I guess, September, I was on a podcast with, with Ben Garrett and, uh, we were talking, we were going through the schedule and I actually picked Ole Miss to go five and five. Now I picked them to go five and five in the regular season and then play ball, you know, and all that stuff. So it wasn't exact, but I, I really thought that, you know, Wayne Kiffin would make a difference. And I, I just thought the energy, uh, the, you know, again, I thought Ole Miss was getting a motivated, the best version of Lane Kiffin. And I think that showed, I think, you know, you talked about all those players that were out, uh, for old Miss, and yet, you know, guys like Don Terrio Drummond had a big game, and, you know, John Rice Pomley has that big play. Um, you know, and, and that shows where you're building a program and an offense where, it, yes, talent matters, players matter, but you can kind of plug and play, and, you know, they're, they're still productive. So, you know, Matt Corral was great again. What a season for him. Um, and, and then I, I just thought, you know, Ole Miss was motivated to be in that game. They, they played pretty well. Yeah, that was what I was going to ask was, you know, if if how much Ole Miss was going to miss Elijah Moore next year. I mean, it seemed like there wasn't a ton of drop-off. And I, I think the biggest thing you can look at the game, and it's not a knock on Casey Kelly. I mean, I, we know there's athleticism in the family. But when you look up and Casey Kelly's running against LSU 25 yards from the nearest defender, it makes me think it's not Casey Kelly, it's scheme. So is that something that Ole Miss is going to be able to you know, take from year to year? Is How much are they going to you know, miss losing guys like Elijah Moore, Kenny Aboa? Well, I think they'll miss 
them. I mean, like I said, there is something to talent, but I agree that the best, you look at the best programs across the country and it just, you know, it's like Alabama. It just doesn't. And and again, that's a bunch of five-star kids, but it doesn't matter who they plug in, you know, the system works. And I think that at least offensively so far, you're, you're seeing some of the same things that could happen under Lane Kiffin. Individual talent matters. You've got to be at a certain level, but I think there is, the goal is to be in a, a position where you're not super dependent on just one guy in AJ Brown or, or somebody like that carrying the offense. And, and I think that at least it was one game. It was a small sample size, but it looks like there's that continuity in the Ole Miss program. And certainly it, I think it's an attractive product for recruits, which is always extremely important. Yeah. You mentioned, so, go ahead. Well, I was going to say you mentioned Plumley, and I wanted to get your thoughts on that because that was something that everybody was clamoring for all season. Everybody thought it was kind of a natural fit. He's a great athlete. He certainly wasn't going to, you know, up in Corral in the number one spot at quarterback, uh, and it just kind of seemed like there was a way for them to get him involved somehow. And they tried it here and there throughout the season, but he never really found a home. And I think it was a lot of, and, and I could be wrong. I'm. I'm kind of speaking for Plumley here, I think it was kind of one of those, he was just a competitive guy and he's wanting to see it through and try to play quarterback. Um, and I think with the opt-outs and with the injuries, he uh, felt the need to step up. And I mean, I think Kiffin said they had four scholarship receivers going into the Outback Bowl. So, um, I mean, whatever you, you know, however you want to, you know, put it with, I guess, you know, is he a legitimate receiver? Who knows? But, First game as a receiver against a top 40 SP plus defense in a January bowl game. And you have five receptions for 73 yards. He had two huge catches in the fourth quarter. He had that contested catch over the middle on third down and then had the big one where he, I thought he was going to score, but do you, and I'm, I'm asking you to, to get your crystal ball out here. Do you anticipate him continuing in that role? Next season, do you think it's possible for him to have a full offseason to play receiver and to kind of grow into into that position? Or do you think that that was just kind of a one-time thing and he's either going to hit the portal or do you think he'll just continue to be the backup? That's a great question. And, you know, I'm not around the program every day to know what he's thinking, but I, I think that performance probably opened his eyes a little bit. And I think you hit on it early in what you said. You know, John Rice probably is not the first – you know, person to go into like a quarterback situation and then, you know, he loses the job and, but he's still a good athlete. They want him to play another position. He's kind of resistant at first because quarterbacks want to play quarterback. I mean, that's, he's far from the only person that has been, you know, a little bit, uh, you know, just had reservations about making the switch, but there's no question that when you've got a kid like him, who is a good athlete who can play a bunch of different positions, you need to find a way to use him. And I think, you know, with him, again, I think that can kind of open your eyes when you do have five catches for 73 yards and you see the ability to make big plays and you see maybe your future somewhere else. I I think there's a much greater chance of that happening, you know, today on January 4th than maybe it was in November and December because he's actually seen how it can work and, and how it can be effective. So with... With that said, for for next season, um, you know Elijah Moore is obviously gone. Uh, they'll get uh, today per the internet. Braylon Sanders announced his intentions to come back for one more year, um, which I think most people anticipated that he was banged up. Probably needed to have one more year of tape to uh, give to NFL scouts. And look, I was telling the guys before uh, before we started a little bit earlier today. Um, I do anticipate Dontario Drummond coming back. Um, those two guys kind of quietly put together a hell of a year. Um, those two guys combined, I think, had over 700 yards and 11 touchdowns. Uh, so in a year when Elijah was the story and a guy that set every record on fire and is probably, I think, the last Big board I saw from Todd McShay. He was 26, I believe. So he has a chance to go first round. I think he's probably going to go second, depending on how things fall. But um, those two guys coming back 
And then if you have Plumley in the fold and then you've got Jonathan Mingo and then the other guys that um, were kind of in that second and third tier in that receiver room, do you think that they can kind of piece it together to kind of help corral in that second year in the system and to really catapult out of this 2020 season? Because we were talking about it today, David. I don't know if you saw, but Matt Corral, despite the two horrendous games against Arkansas and LSU, still led the country in total offense. No, that was incredible. I did see that tweet. That guy was, I mean, I knew he had a good year, but yeah, when you put it in that perspective, I mean, the guy completed 71% of his passes, 29 touchdowns, 14 interceptions. I'm like, I mean, he had, I think his season exceeded all expectations. I mean, I thought he was a solid quarterback and given the correct, you know, the, the right offense could be a solid fit, but yeah, I mean, you're talking about a guy that, you know, will go into next season with at least a little bit of, you know, dark horse Heisman hype um, and deservedly so. Uh, so, you know, I, I think, again, you want to see more than one year from Lane Kiffin, but I, I think the bowl game was a very good step in the right direction of establishing a program and not just having individual players like Elijah Moore have a great season. You love that when that happens, but, you know, it's got to be, you've got to be able to function with other people. And, uh, you know, at least for one game against a good Indiana team, like you talked about, um, and looks like they can keep on rolling. All right. So you mentioned, you know, a dark horse Heisman candidate, and I'm not throwing you under the bus. You know, we talked, the, I think the odds came out for next year, and it had, you know, the incoming quarterback from Clemson up there. Um, it had the, you know, Alabama's uh, Bryce Young. I, I think he was in fifth place. So there's some there's some new names. You're you're obviously going to have you know no Justin Fields, no Trevor Lawrence, no Mac Jones, no Devontae Smith. All of those guys that were invited to New York this year. Uh, Najee Harris in fifth. Obviously not going to be there. Uh, I'm not saying that Mac Mac Corral is going to win the Heisman. I don't even think he's going to get invited to New York just based on how things tend to go for Ole Miss fans. But you know how what is Ole Miss have to do, I guess, as a team to kind of get in that. Is Ole, is Ole Miss going to have to win 10 games for that to be a possibility? Or if you take this year and you take out that that LSU and Arkansas game, is that good enough if Ole Miss is in eight wins to maybe get invited to New York? Well, that's – I was about to kind of get into that once you were talking about it. You know, it, uh, it, a lot of it has to do with the team. The only reason he's really a dark horse candidate, you know, quote unquote, is that they're five and five right now. And, you know, generally speaking, the, the Heisman winner doesn't come from, you know, average to even slightly above average teams. There's a couple, you know, there's a couple examples of that. But, yeah, I think Ole Miss needs to at least have, you know, I'm assuming 2021 is a fairly normal season. And, you know, if you can get nine or ten wins, including some marquee moments, say Alabama, LSU, different things like that. I think that's kind of the bare minimum to get yourself into the conversation. Um, and, and so I, I think that definitely is plausible, but it's just at, at some level, it's not all up to Matt. Like even if he plays well, if the team is, you know, seven and five, six and six, it's, it's just hard to see him, you know, those guys, unless the numbers are just insane, they don't garner much consideration. So I, I think Matt Corral, has shown he can have the number when you lead the nation in total offense. Um, and I obviously it was a weird year. Not everybody played the same about games, but um, yeah, I mean, he has every reason to be confident. And I think Ole Miss fans, this is their, you know, I think back to uh, I'm showing my age here, but remember Jevin Sneed coming back and I am not at all comparing the way that he was hyped up for all that stuff. And then it fell apart. I hope that doesn't happen to Matt because that was kind of a rough uh, year for Jevin. So um, but but anyway, I don't think that's going to happen. I think Matt's going to be really productive next year. And if the chips fall right, that they, he could be in the Heisman discussion. Well, you you know, talking about former quarterbacks, and I had some. So I was talking to some folks today, and a lot of people brought brought up you know, Bo Walls and his in his career at Ole Miss, and how you know, yeah, like he he you know obviously beat Bama. He had some huge wins. Um, he was you know instrumental in getting things going when freeze and and that whole crew you know got the 13 class and, and started winning big got you know top four in the first playoff ranking um and you know i had some people that were like you know well you know corral had those two games that were just so bad and i went back and looked just because i was curious um and outside so he had 11 picks 
11 picks in the Arkansas and LSU games combined. Outside of that, he had three total. And and look, and and look, it still counts, but the one he had against Florida was just a ridiculously lucky strip sack catch pick that I think Brenton Cox made. But um he had the two picks against Auburn. I didn't realize it. Bo Wallace in his first year, he had six games with two picks or more. So think about that. And Bo was great in year one in twenty twelve. He had him in a ton of games on a team that wasn't very good. And that's just another thing that just shows the the absolute just dominance. I mean, you mentioned he had 71% completion percentage, all SEC schedule, and then you play a you know 11th-ranked Indiana team with a really good defense. And uh, the secondary had the second most picks in the country. And, I mean, he just had an – I mean, I think it was his best game outside of Alabama – um, 30 of 44 for 342 and two touchdowns. Um, he ran it when he needed to. He checked down when he needed to. He didn't try to press and, and make the big throw. I thought that that was along with the defense, and we'll get to the defense because I do want to get your thoughts on that because they played their tails off. I thought that that was the difference. Uh, Corral, there were plenty of times when he could have tried to go deep, go for the big play. But, you know, Kane Womack and Indiana were perfectly fine with dropping into coverage, you know, dropping seven, dropping eight, not bringing a ton of pressure and trying to bait him into that. And, you know, I think he showed a ton of maturity and and not doing that and playing within himself. I thought that that was not only an indictment on him and his preparation, but it shows what Kiffin and, and Jeff Levy have been able to do with him in that offense. Yeah, no, I, and I think that, you know, Matt Corral, yes, he, he's had those two bad games and they were bad, but <laughs> um you know, a, a quarterback, it's very rare the quarterback that just comes in and dominates every single game. I mean, he had thrown, what, about 200 college passes before this year over his first couple of years. I mean, you know, the guy needed to play in some football games. Um, and, and sometimes you have painful moments because of that. But that Indiana game, uh, you know, it just looked like a quarterback who had been on a college football field. Like you said, he had he evaluated what Indiana was trying to do to him. And then he, you know, whether it was Kiffin in his ear or whoever it was, I mean, they made the adjustment and made the plays they needed to play or to make to counteract whatever Indiana was trying to do. And he did that consistently. He did that, didn't try to do too much like he talked about. Um, and, and they had a great game plan and, and won a game against a really good team. And that's what you want to see constant maturity and, and progression with your quarterback. I mean, that's, you know, a lot of times we think guys and, and not just me or you or anybody else, but a lot of times people will say, Oh, he's a year older. He's going to be better. I mean, maybe, or he might just be a year older. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like sometimes guys kind of hit plateaus and uh, you know, I, I know it's, it's uh, sacrilegious to, to cross Mississippi schools right now, but I'm reminded of, you know, improved more than anyone I have ever seen through a college career. You know, he came in his freshman and sophomore year, and he really was more of a runner than a passer. But then he got really good at passing, and obviously now he's the quarterback of the Cowboys, and the rest is history. But then Nick Fitzgerald comes in, and everybody expected Fitzgerald to make the same monstrous leaps that Dak Prescott did. And that just wasn't very realistic. I mean, Fitzgerald got a little better, but at the end of the day, he was a really good, a special running quarterback who was just kind of an average thrower, and that's what he was. And it didn't matter that he – you know, got a year older or anything like that. So I, it always fascinates me in colleges. I, I think the best coaches, why Dan Mullen, his best quality is that quarterbacks consistently, for the most part, got better during his tenure. And I think, you know, the next year for Corral is big because he's had some success now. Uh, teams have a lot of tape on him. Uh, they're going to try to play him different ways. And it's about how he can adjust. And that's what you know, in the NFL, the college, and that's that's the name of the game. Can you adjust? You know, Kyler Murray, I, I cover the Arizona Cardinals here. He's dealing with that in the NFL right now. Uh, he took the league by storm because he's able to run a little bit. Uh, during the second year, he ran for like six or 700 yards the first half of the season. And then people started to shut that that down, play a spy on him, do different things. And, and Kyler's going to have to reinvent himself slightly uh, to make that work. And obviously it didn't work out very well this year because they didn't make the playoffs. But uh, 
it, it's always a cat and mouse game. And so I'm interested to see where Corral goes from here, here but I'm, I'm very encouraged. I, I think the Indiana game, again, is a good sign that he can make those adjustments. Yeah, there's always that that joke about like, you know, Vanderbilt brings back 18 starters off last year's team and everyone was like, you know, they were two and ten last year. It, it's not like just necessarily right. getting these guys next yeah, year. Yeah, it's not necessarily a great thing. Yeah, yeah. But okay, so let's talk a little bit about defense and guys that, that are coming back. And I, I think Sam Williams, the guy announced again today on Twitter, I think Ole Miss kind of put out a barrage of, of tweets about guys that are going to be back. And, and, you know, he was a guy who improved a ton, I thought, over the course of the year and had, without a doubt, his best game against Indiana. I mean, really put some pressure on the quarterback, uh, got in the backfield, and Ole Miss really struggle with that. At times this year, almost would bring five and six guys and still not do anything. But I thought he had a good game. I thought Quentin Bivens had a good game. Zach, is, is Tariqus Tisdale, did he also put out that he was coming back? He did. He um, had surgery on his arm. Um, he is coming back, uh, obviously taking advantage of the year, not counting for him. But uh, he is he is another big body up front, experienced guy, started a lot of games that will be back as well. So, those are JUCO guys that are going to be in entering their third year in the program. And I feel like, you know, JUCO guys a lot of times don't really come on until the end of their second year. And then by the time they're good, they're gone. And Ole Miss kind of, I feel like it's going to get a gift next year and having those guys back. Yeah, I agree with you completely that JUCO guys, you know, even thinking back, you remember a linebacker they had named Patrick Trahan. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, back in those, you know, and, and his first year, he was pretty good, but his second year, he was awesome. You know, and, and you're right that you just start to scratch the surface of how those guys can do, and then they're gone, and it's frustrating. So having a third year in the program, I think, is huge. Um, you know, you you not only that first year, you're just getting used to playing big-time football and all that stuff, and then you really establish yourself. And that third year, you can come back and, and really have an impact. So, you know, I, I think Ole Miss on that side of the ball obviously needs to bulk up a little bit in recruiting. Um, but there are – you know, they do have some pieces that they can are usable. You know what I mean? And so I, I think that, again, when you're trying to establish a program, um, you're, you're just wanting guys that even if they aren't, you know, the Robert Condici five-star recruits that, you know, they can come in and, and you know, you need a bunch of Mike Hilton's essentially. <laughs> like if, if I could clone a player and put them in every spot in different sizes, it would probably be Mike Hilton. Um but I, I think Ole Miss is, is slowly moving in the correct direction on that side of the ball. So y'all, y'all mentioned the, the junior college guys and having that advantage of bringing them back for another year. They're adding two potential instant impact guys and in Isaiah Iton and Jamon Gordon, who are both junior college guys built to come in and play right away. I think that that is the key here because as we kind of put the Finishing touches on the Outback Bowl discussion, I, I wanted to ask you, David, what you thought about what DJ Durkin and Chris Partridge did in this game. Now, I know very different style, very different pace with no Michael Penix back there, but but Jack Tuttle, um, he's, he's, he's no bum, a uh, former four-star from California, originally signed with Utah. Player. Yeah, uh, went to Indiana uh, with a transfer, but they held an Indiana team – on offense and check that was pretty much almost identical to their defensive ranking. They were a top, I think 45 SP plus offense. Um, they were very efficient, ran the ball well all year. Their receivers, uh, Trey Freifogel, the Mississippi native, uh, Wap failure and uh Hendershot, another receiver. Uh, they were pretty balanced. Um, now, now I did look at the box score, and, and Fillier had 24 targets in this game. He had 18 receptions for 81 yards. I was looking at the box, 18 for 81. That's a, yeah. That, that's um, hard to do. It is. Uh, but, but look, I mean, an Ole Miss defense that was dead last in the country and the SEC in pass defense um, held Indiana to 201 yards passing and 369 total, which – it's still a lot, but that number will get you to, you know, remove your glasses and, and squint a little bit closer to make sure you're not, you know, misreading it. I thought they had probably their best game game plan ever this season. I mean, it was night and day different. They showed some different things. Um, I think they confused Tuttle a lot. And then, look, I mean, all jokes aside – 
the defensive line got pressure when they needed to. They had some big stops on third down. I mean, the play of the game at the end, um, Quentin Bivens beat a double team to get to Tuttle and uh, to grab him as he was trying to get rid of it. But, I mean, do you think that this is something that they can build on for next season, or do you think it was just kind of a, a one-time, you know, <laughs> one-time thing in a, in a January bowl game and a COVID season that just didn't really mean much? I mean, I, I kind of tend to be on the fence here because I know they still have a ton of issues. Their secondary is still nowhere near where it needs to be in the sec and the same for the defensive line but you know the linebackers we're talking about the guys coming back jock jones said he's coming back lakia henry didn't get to play he had covid um i I think uh i anticipate him coming back as well but uh, do you think that this unit can get better in 2021 i know they're adding a ton of defensive pieces in the 2021 class but is it going to be a lot more of corral having to do almost everything he can to win a game or do you see this defense taking the next step? Well, it's a little bit of both. I I don't think you should go too nuts over a January bowl game with all kinds of different factors and different players. You know, there's just a lot going on, but I I think I I go back to people I covered when I was at Ole Miss and even switching sports now. One of my favorite uh, Andy Kennedy quotes was, you know, he was like confidence is, is a simple word, but it's a powerful word. And if you, you know, can get guys confident, even if they're not the best athlete in the world and, and they're confident in what they're doing, they have success on the field, they, they know they can do it, then that's a powerful tool going into the next year. I'm not saying they're going to have a bunch of first-team All-SEC selections. I'm not saying all these guys are going to turn into NFL prospects overnight. But you talked about those new pieces they're going to bring in. What you want is the core group that is with the defense to at least be useful. You know, guys that can fill spots, fill roles. So where the new guys don't have to be all world to where it can all kind of mesh together and you kind of build some depth, even if you don't necessarily have the high end talent. I I think that this team in 2021 is going to be built around it's Lane Kiffin. I I think they're going to want to score points and the offense is a little bit of the focal point for the most part, but so you just need your defense to be decent. It doesn't have to be amazing. Um, It it just needs to be solid. And it's interesting because covering the Cardinals out here, it's very similar. You know, last year they were five, 10 and one and their defense was awful. I mean, it was the worst in the the, uh, NFL, gave up the most total yards in the NFL. This year they nearly made the playoffs because their defense wasn't amazing, but it was okay. It was adequate. It was about middle of the pack in most things uh, in, in the NFL. And I think that if Ole Miss can do that, you're looking at a team that could be confident that maybe an eight or nine win season is coming. You don't have to have the defense be just ridiculous. You just need to win some games like they did against Indiana, 26 to 20, uh, 33 to 27, things like that. That's how you win games. And I I think that eventually if Ole Miss really gets rolling the way Lane Kiffin wants, that's sort of the scores that you would want to see and and know that they're progressing. All right, so I guess last thing here before we hit our break. Um, what is your take on uh, – I'm trying to think of how to word this question. Um, we've gone almost 30 minutes and we haven't mentioned him. Um, the leading rusher in this game for Ole Miss was Henry Paris Jr., the true freshman out of Florida, 17 carries, 63 yards. Um Snoop put in some work as well, six for 43, averaged seven yards a carry, and then had the touchdown. I, with It's weird to think without Jerry Neely, the run game didn't really struggle at all. I, I have my opinion on Parrish. How special do you think he can be next season? You know, I don't know. I've seen him a little bit, and it looks like he's a guy that can – and running back is one of those positions. You need multiple guys who can – because you just go through injuries. You go through, you know, who knows. It, it just seems like a position that there's a lot of turnover. There's very few Derrick Henrys in this world. And so I think he is definitely a guy that can be part of a productive backfield. And he showed that against Indiana – Again, it's, you know, you don't go too crazy over a a bowl game, but between Connor, between Parrish, between all those guys, it it looks like they'll be able to run the ball. And I I just think more than ever, you know, occasionally you get to where you have a just a premier 
you know, number one on the depth chart running back. And that's a beautiful thing when you have it. I mean, the Titans are loving it right now, but a lot of teams piece it together with a couple different pieces. You know, like I was looking, you know, another Mississippi kid, I've covered the Rams a couple times this year and Cam Akers was part of a backfield with like Daryl Henderson and some other guys where different guys were coming in each game and, you know, somebody would run for 110 yards and then the other guy would run for 95. And I, I just think that for 80, 90% of the teams, that's just the way football is right now. So I think Parrish is, you know, not necessarily another Derrick Henry or something like that. Uh, but I, I think he can be part of a very productive backfield that, that can move the ball. All right. We are going to uh, go ahead and take our break here. Um, hear from the sponsors. When we come back, we're going to have more with David Brandt from the Associated Press. We're going to talk a little more full 2020 overview kind of get his thoughts on year one of Lane Kiffin so hang tight and we will be right back it's Zach again podcast rebellion to remind you of our lovely sponsors here at the show if you like New Orleans inspired cuisine, go see Kelly English and the good folks in Memphis at Second Line or Restaurant Iris for some fantastic food and cocktails. You can also travel down to the coast to Magnolia House in Biloxi at Harris Gulf Coast. Blackjack, craps, slots, Southern cooking, cocktails, what's not to like? All three fantastic establishments, part of the Kelly English restaurant group. Good food, good people, good cocktails. It can't be beat. That's Second Line, Restaurant Hours in Memphis, and Magnolia House in Biloxi. Speaking of good food, if you're in Oxford, go see Greg and the good folks at LB's Meat Market, the inaugural sponsor of this year's podcast, on University Avenue, across from Kroger. Celebrate with the best protein for your almost Grilling needs with Greg and the rest of the folks there. And be sure to tell them that Red Cup sent you for exclusive deals and promotions. Remember, the Philly combo is back for just $10 right now. And you've got your lunch specials. 11 to 3.30, Monday through Friday. That's LB's Meat Market on University, across from Kroger. Arby's is full of shit. LB's has the meats. Speaking of Oxford, if you're looking to get some libations going, be sure to check out Wonderbird Spirits, North Mississippi's first distillery. It's a quick little eight-minute drive south of Oxford on Old Taylor Road, and it's the only spot in the Magnolia State for a true grain-to-glass gin experience. The space is fantastic. Chan and the rest of the guys there are doing some fantastic stuff. Uh, go there, get a tour, do a tasting, or you could do both. Inquire about maybe renting it out for a private event, maybe a anniversary, a wedding reception, a rehearsal dinner, something. The place is amazing. That's Wonderbird Spirits, North Mississippi's first distillery in Taylor, Mississippi, and be sure to follow them on Instagram for all their latest updates and uh, comings and goings there at Wonderbird. Speaking of libations, if you're in Memphis and you're looking to stock the cooler this year, Old Dominic on South Front Street is your place to go. Just like Wonderbird, you can go there for a tasting, for a tour, or both, and be sure to check out the rooftop bar, which is super awesome, has some great views of downtown Memphis, of the Mississippi River. Uh, you can try their Healing Station High Rye Bourbon, the Memphis Toddy, the Memphis Vodka, or the new Honey Bell Vodka. You can get it all there or at your local package store. So celebrate with that Healing Station bourbon, a very small batch High Rye Bourbon by the folks at Old Dominic. It's a bold classic whiskey with notes of stone fruit, dark cherry, just the right amount of spice and heritage that dates back to 1866. You can enjoy it neat or even in your favorite cocktail like an old-fashioned. It's got a mash bill of 52% corn, 44% rye, and 4% malt. Healing Station stands alone in its category of high-rye bourbons. So you could do that, or you can enjoy a quick taste of Memphis Toddy before the game this weekend, and then you can wind down with that Healing Station afterwards. So, like we always say, ask your, pa ask, ask your package store where you can find Healing Station by Old Dominic, and, as always, OD encourages you to share SIP responsibly. And last but certainly not least, if you're in the market for a new vehicle, 
Make it a Clark Ford vehicle. Corey Clark and the rest of the folks in Amory, Mississippi on Highway 25 are committed to finding you a new vehicle today. Be sure to browse their inventory online, request more information about the vehicles, set up a test drive, and inquire about financing all online. If you want to do it a little old school, maybe uh, conversate via telephone, you can give them a call at 662-257-1900 and get in a new Ford today. And we are back here on Podcast Rebellion. All right, David, so we made history back in 2018 when we had you on here and we brought up Lane Kiffin and you kind of laughed and you said, I don't really think that would work. I, I don't really see it. Um, by the end of that 30 to 45 minute podcast, whatever it was, we had convinced you. Um, now, is that validated after 2020? Oh, I, I think I'll miss it. By the way, that was a, a shining moment in your show's history. You totally like I like I, I, I'm open to different ideas and everything a lot of times. But that was, you know, after a while, I, I think what Kiffin, the reason I was a little soft on him early, you know, back in 2018 was the freeze era was still kind of fresh in my mind and all that drama. And I just thought that Ole Miss would be a little adverse to that. Matt Luke was about as drama free as you could get. They were also not very good under him. And so you, your, your stomach for a little more off-the-field shenanigans. And I say that. I mean, Lane Kiffin, yes, he sends out tweets and stuff like that. But, you know, you don't have to necessarily worry about his off-the-field behavior too much or anything. So I, I just think the stomach for that increased. But, I mean, you guys were absolutely right. It was a great fit. It was perfect timing. Um, I, I think, again, and I said this back, you know, when he was hired – the, the best part about it is you're getting the best version of Lane Kiffin. I don't think you could have gotten him at a better time in his coaching career. You know, he's he's the rare mix of experienced with a lot of upside. You know what I mean? He's gone through some mm. rough stretches. He's failed when he was in his 20s and 30s. And he's also succeeded when he was in his 20s and 30s. He's been humbled. He's been, you know, at the top of the world. He's won national championships as an assistant. Um it's rare that you get a guy, how old is Lane now? Like 43, 44, something like that. I mean, you, you've got a guy who's 44, who's like 67 in coaching years. You know what I mean? Like, and that's, you know, like it's like dog years or something like that. I mean, Lane yeah. Kiffin has seen a lot in his time between USC, between Tennessee, between the Raiders. I mean, this is a dude that like has seen a lot of football, has seen some crazy stuff, crazy owners. There's not a lot that's going to phase him. And so I think that, you know, to have somebody, and you didn't know a pandemic was coming, but I think he was a good guy uh, in the face of all of this, because it's just another crazy thing that he's seen during his career. I think he was as well prepared to deal with it as just about anybody else. And so, you know, I, it wasn't perfect. They've got to build a lot on defense. There's a lot of work to do. But if I'm an old Miss fan, I am very, very encouraged by what I saw this year. So we... We, we talked a lot about it when the Auburn search was going on. There were some rumblings that that Auburn would be interested in Lane Kiffin. And yeah, I don't really know if it's if it's something that's been confirmed or not, if Lane had any interest. I, I'm of the opinion that he might have used it a little bit as leverage to maybe get a couple things that he's needing to be successful at Ole Miss, which, look, hey, you do what you got to do. It's it's your job to to win and put yourself in position to win and and to get things done. So I don't fault him there, but, and, and I, I'm trying to be as middle of the road as I can here. Cause I don't want to be, you know, super Homer Ole Miss podcast here, but the way that he operates and you asked how old he's 45 years young. So he's not very old, but he's a very, I'm trying to think of the way he's, you know, very eccentric. Like he's very, he, he's kind of a keeps to himself. He doesn't like to do much. Um, you know, in the in, in the public eye, you know, he'll do the media ops and stuff at, at Boure when they have the coaches show. But outside of that, you know, he keeps to himself. And with the Ole Miss job being what it is, and you can certainly win at a high level there. Hugh Freeze showed that. Um, I mean, way back in the early 2000s, David Cutcliffe had them on the cusp of, of going to Atlanta to play for an SEC title. So the the possibility to win the SEC and to to win 10, 11, 12 games is there. 
I'm of the opinion that I think that it's almost, I don't want to use perfect, but I think it's it's set up to where he can stay at Ole Miss for a little bit. I don't necessarily think it's going to be a two-year and then bounce somewhere else. I kind of feel like it's set up perfect for him to kind of hunker down, be in his little bubble in Oxford, keep to himself. If he can recruit well, and, I th- and, he, and he already is. I mean, they have a consensus top 20 class right now. I think they're going to add one more huge piece in February and four-star Taiwan Malone, who's a defensive tackle, which everyone knows is a position of need. I think that, like you said, he's matured. He's a different Lane Kiffin. He's kind of, I think he's wanting to do his own thing and to build his own thing. I don't think this is going to be, well, when Nick Saban retires, he's jumping over to Tuscaloosa. I think he's kind of wanting to set himself apart and to establish his own thing in Oxford and at Ole Miss. I'm not saying he's going to be there for 15 years and retire there, but I think that it's certainly not out of the realm of possibility for him to be four or five, maybe six years if he starts to win. Do you see that at all? Oh, absolutely, actually. And I, I don't think that's that's homerish at all right now. I, I think that's you know fairly logical for the most part. Now, you, you never discount. I'm sure Lane has a couple dream jobs out there. There's always a couple jobs. You never say never. You know, depending on what happens, who comes after him, there's always that possibility. Leadership changes, if, you know, all kinds of things happen in college football. We've definitely seen that uh, over the years. But you just look at something like Auburn. Auburn comes open. Okay, Auburn's a good job. I think you could certainly argue that it's a little bit better than Ole Miss in some ways. But is it really that much better that you want to completely start over what you've built at Ole Miss and you know have to go against Nick Saban all the time and you know, at least for the foreseeable next three or four years and, and kind of start over. I mean, what can you, you know, I think Ole Miss has just got a lot of positives right now. And yes, there are a handful of jobs that are probably better, be better. And if they have enough success, then that's a good problem to have going down the road. But I can definitely see where, you know, Lane Kiffin, it, it's kind of the, not exactly the same situation, but, you know, everybody thought Dan Mullen would bounce after a couple of years. Uh, But, you know, I I think that Dan Mullen, even though, yes, he did want that chance at a a big time blue blood, you know, national championship caliber program, he understood that he had it pretty good at Mississippi State in a lot of ways. And he wasn't leaving just for the sake of leaving. Like it had to be a really, really good job. So I, I do think there's probably a handful of jobs that Lane might jump for. It may come to that. But I also see a, a very logical I don't, I don't think it takes a big leap of faith uh, to see Lane Kiffin staying there eight to ten years that this is kind of going to be the the bulk of his college football work I, I think that's that could definitely happen uh, well, okay so if you if, if I told you he leaves within the next we'll say three years to kind of open it back up to maybe even something crazy like Auburn could be open again what is the place you could see him going where is the place? Excuse me. Oh, I don't. Well, you, I mean, you threw out that about, uh, you know, Saban retiring someday, even though it doesn't look like he's slowing down anytime soon. I mean, you know, that would be enticing if Alabama just sent a blank check to you. Uh, you know, there's, I would say USC, but obviously to put that, that ship has, has probably sailed. Some of the logical ones, again, that's kind of an interesting. I think maybe another shot eventually at the NFL might intrigue him or something like that. I'm just kind of spitballing here. I'm not in Lane Kiffin's head. But, but really, there aren't a lot of jobs that would just obviously be something that he would want to do. I don't know. You know, maybe an Ohio State or a Michigan or a, it looks like Ryan Day is going to be at Ohio State for quite a while, too. So, um Hey, David, I have one. Oh, okay. So so here's one, and I'll throw it out, and I think it is kind of a unique job, and it's from people that are out on the West Coast. They say it has its limitations. I'm of the opinion that Ole Miss Miss fans should want Chip Kelly to work at UCLA because I feel like that's a place that Lane would go to to stick it to Southern Cal. It's in L.A. He can be out West, close to his kids, he can be in California doing that whole thing. UCLA now has Jumpman. You know, all jokes aside, he's he's wanting to get Ole Miss part of the Jumpman brand. But I don't know. That's the one for me. It, it might be a stretch because UCLA 
as big of a school as, as it is and as much money as they have, they don't seem to really invest in football. Yeah, and I, I'm sure that would be intriguing to him. But I, I'm telling you, man, being out here on the West Coast, and I don't, I can't get inside Lane's head. I don't know, but it's just like I love the Pac-12 schools, and I really love covering basketball, especially in the conference. But football is just different, man. People just don't, except in a couple spots like Oregon, Arizona State has a has a pretty fanatical, you know, it's smaller but a, a decent fan base. It's just different. And like, I just don't think there's anything. This is me sounding homerish for the South, but it's not even close. Like the atmosphere, the interest, the recruiting base. I mean, yeah, Arizona's got some talent. California has some talent. There's, there are some players out on the West Coast, but man, if that would be a really, really tough sell to me. And like you said, there's personal things with Lane Kiffin sticking it to USC, like you talked about. There, there might be some personal interest but you know it's been a minute since UCLA's been good consistently on the national stage and I I I think that's a hard job um I you know I think USC you know obviously again that ship has sailed but USC Oregon there's a couple out there in the west coast but man I don't I don't know I just I just think the SEC ACC Big 12 Big 10 is is kind of where it's at right now so, and, and honestly, the, the answer should probably be next year because Alabama is going to be breaking in at least a partial new backfield. Uh, Brian Robinson is going to be back there. Uh, you know, obviously, Mac Jones is going to be gone. Uh, but if Saban, excuse me, if if Lane Kiffin is going to finally beat Saban and beat Saban's first loss to a former assistant, it, you know, can that be done? I think that the 2022 season is kind of a, a good – you know, thing to shoot for for Ole Miss. It's going to be back at home. I don't know if you're going to have Matt Corral back. You could have, you know, Luke Altmaier, you know, starting a quarterback. But, you know, when is Ole Miss going to beat Alabama again? When is Lane Kiffin going to finally do it? Or is he going to be able to do it in his time in Oxford? I, I'm going to kind of jump out of the limb and say I think he will, I, I, if he stays long enough. I think if you give mm-hmm. him five chances in Alabama, it, it's 2022 one way. Is that too early? No, I think 2022 is – is you said that game's at home. I mean, I think for most programs, you know, pandemic notwithstanding, that third year is where you really expect a program to kind of get maybe not totally where it's going, but you want right. to see some serious pro- progress where that program is, you know, competing for the West at that point. And so I, I don't think that's – I'm not saying it's going to happen, but I just think you give Lane Kiffin five or six cracks in Alabama, and I think, you know – I. If, if I were a betting man, uh, then I think Lane could get one of those at some point. And my follow-up to that is the only way that a former assistant, especially Kiffin, is going to beat Saban, it's going to be like 58-56, right? Oh, yeah. It's going to be a pack of lunch, you know, all night. Get, Go get for two at the there. end. It's going to be, yeah, triple overtime, just monstrous fiasco. Ball bouncing off. Who was the guy the helmet bounced off of that? Well, Adebojo caught it. Adebojo, that's what it was. It was off. It was off Treadwell. Yeah. 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 It was off Treadwell's head. I mean, you need. I want one of those games, man. Those are. I. I I do kind of miss. Boy, there was a two-year span, two or three-year span where Ole Miss was just a walking four-hour heart attack, and I wasn't even emotionally invested. Like I was just writing stories about it, and it was. I mean, it was incredible. They had the most ridiculous games. That Arkansas game is still. I know. I'm. You know, bringing up bad memories for all Miss fans. That was the most crazy game I've ever seen. Just about those games with Johnny Manziel and Texas A&M. Those games were bonkers. Uh, so I mean, they were uh, they were incredible. Well, see, so, David, you say you'd rather have a crazy game like that. Like I would like to have those games that Alabama has against Ole Miss, where it's just sixty-two to seven, never a doubt. <laughs> that's yeah. I think that's the goal for everybody. You want water. You want to be tested once or twice a year. But it's yeah. nice to win once in a while, forty-eight to seven. You know, I, I brought the crazy out to the desert. The, the Cardinals were involved in some ridiculous games. That game that DeAndre Hopkins jumped over three people and caught the touchdown with two seconds left to win the game. Uh, you know, there there was the game uh, Tua was against Kyler, and that game was back and forth. I mean, you know, the, the nothing will ever top college's ability to have crazy finishes. I I love the NFL, I love covering it, but it's just not quite as nuts, for a better word. Um, but 
you know, the, the crazy has come out here and I, I do miss that with some of these college games. Uh, it's just not quite as you just don't get those 65 to 58 triple overtime bonanzas. But so where were you just kind of to get touch back on that, that helmet touchdown, where were you in that? Were you in the stadium? And I guess my follow-up is, and I'm, I'm in no way saying you're biased, but I mean, did you jump a little bit when that happened? Oh, I mean, like you always cheer for the big play in big moments, like right. no matter what team does it. Like, I, you know, I covered the Masters in 2019 when Tiger won. I mean, that was awesome. Like it wasn't I wasn't necessarily rooting for Tiger, but I was rooting for the moment, if that makes sense. You know what I mean? Like you knew you were like in an iconic mm-hmm. sports moment at the Masters, one of the greatest Masters ever played with Tiger winning and it was incredible. It was electric and everybody in the press room could feel that it was the same way with those Alabama, uh, Ole Miss, uh, matchups. And that one I was not at cause that was in Tuscaloosa. And since I was at the AP by that point, I don't go on the road very often. Occasionally I do. I wish I did more, but part of the deal is you kind of have your territory and you mostly do the home games. So, uh, I was at the game where they tore down the goalposts and marched and Katie Perry stage diving and all that stuff. Um, but I think, I think as a, reporter you you always you talk about the bounce off the helmet you love stuff like that and it's not because you want all this i just love awesome stuff like that that we're still talking about seven eight years later and, and that's the kind of stuff that makes this fun and makes the weird hours and all the weird stuff about covering sports worth it so speaking of weird um looking at the schedule for next season almost opens in atlanta at mercedes-benz against louisville but three weeks after that, they play Liberty at home. What kind wow. of what kind of circus? Just you, you want to talk about a four hour heart attack? I, I know a lot of Ole Miss fans that are just, regardless of what the score is, are just going to always expect the worst to happen in that game. Do you actually think that Hugh Freeze and the Liberty Flames stand a chance against Matt Corral and Lane Kiffin? And Ole Miss in Oxford. Ooh, that's a that's a good one, man. You talk about a juicy matchup right there. That's about as juicy as it gets. I, I mean, I think there's a chance. Um, obviously, they will be highly motivated for that game. Ole Miss will be too. Um, but at that point, for Ole Miss, you know, I, I don't. How long's Freeze been gone? I don't think any of the current players would have been recruited by him. I don't know if it will be as a big deal no. for the players as it will be for the fans. And, you know, this was, you know, back in the day, three or four years ago, kind of after everything had settled down, I, uh, you know, I put out a tweet at some point that said, you know, the year is 2025, you know, there's a 10 year anniversary for the, the sugar bowl win, you know, is, is Hugh Freeze invited to that? You know, is he, you know, what's the reception, you know, is he acknowledged even, you know, and everything like what would, how will that even work? You know what I mean? And I, and, and I think that's still playing out and I can see a situation where he kind of morphs into sort of a Jackie Sherrill type character uh, where, you know, he becomes kind of a beloved elder statesman sort of against all odds later on in his uh, career. So, but I don't think that time getting back to your question is in 2021. I, I hope that COVID and all that stuff is over. So there could be a full stadium and the true hostile environment. I, I got to experience that one time. I was at the Clary Ledger and traveling on the road when Ole Miss went back to Arkansas in 2008 with Houston Nutt. And that was nuts. Oh, yeah. That was what – those people were mad. I mean, they were Oh, yeah. Angry. I, was, I was at and that I game. Remember, it was, it was yeah, toxic. I was running – because my brother went to college in Arkansas, and I, he was actually still in school at the time, and I stayed at his place and, you know, did a couple scene stories in Fayetteville just because I had a free place to stay. And it was insane. Um I just remember, you know, because I was down on the field after the game and, you know, I was kind of walking behind Houston Nutt as he was, you know, shaking hands and kissing babies and all that stuff as he was walking off, you know, doing his Houston Nutt things. And there was just this guy in the stands and he probably had like four teeth, but he was just like, we hate you, coach. We hate you. And he was just screaming, just shrieking. And I just remember sitting there just being like, this is unbelievable. That was also the place I, I don't want to get him in trouble with since it's been 13 years, but Chuck Roundsville nearly got into a fight on the field. And that was one of the more like incredible things I've ever seen too. And it was, it was not Chuck's fault. Like 
Do we have time for this story? It's kind of a funny story. Yeah, I, yeah. Blogged it. I blogged about it afterwards, and he was mad at me for about five minutes until he became a hero and old this size. So basically, like after the game, you know how it is. You're you're on the field. The game ends, and you remember it was a tight game. Uh, Arkansas, I think, like tried to onside kick and might have even recovered. And they had a desperate. It didn't work out. Ole Miss wins. So Ole Miss is running out of the field. Arkansas is running out of the field. Chuck's just kind of jogging in front of me. And he hits, you know, Chuck's a decent sized guy. Um, and he, he bumps shoulders with like an Arkansas video crew guy or something like that. And the Arkansas guy, they were about, they were similar sizes. So they hit shoulders and they just stare at each other and they kind of, they, they, everything happens so fast. They exchange some words and then the, the, uh, the Arkansas guy kind of takes a swing a little bit, not a full-fledged punch, but like a swing. And, you know, it's like a Matrix moment where Chuck Roundsville like bends backwards and the hand flies in front of his face and hits Chuck's hat off. And I remember thinking I, I had been in all this for about two years and I had never seen Chuck without a hat. And I was like, oh, Chuck's bald. That was the first time I, you know, I got my just desserts later by I went bald like three years later. <laughs> but uh, I was like, wow, Chuck's bald. And then they like, get in each other's faces. And there was this, a cop was like right there too. And the cop grabs them both and is going to arrest them both. And Michael Omer is walking by and he goes, man, Chuck didn't do anything. This guy started it. And the cop believed Michael Omer. And I'm not saying Chuck started, I don't really think Chuck started, but the Arkansas guy got arrested and Chuck just walked free. And, wow. and I was walking back. Chuck's eyes were as big as dinner plates. It was great. And uh, we were we were walking back. I was like, "You dodged a bullet back there." He was like, "No, I know it, buddy." I mean, it was it was hilarious. I mean, like looking back on it, but that's the stuff that makes covering the SEC uh, so fun. So anyway, that's the Chuck Roundsville story from Fayetteville. I don't know if you guys have heard that one. So I remember that game. So like I said, I was there, and there was a controversial offensive pass interference call late in that game. Um, yes, I remember that. It was, oh, I can see, um, uh, London Crawford was the receiver. Um, now, I think it was it was the right call, but man, Marche Green did not sell, sell it at all. He got shoved, and if he had gone to his feet, it would have probably been, everybody would say, okay, okay, yeah, yeah. But um, yeah, obviously Arkansas, the, the whole stadium just erupted, but... Um, oh, there was there was anger, and boy, Marche uh, Green, what a what a blast from the past right there. Yeah, um, but yeah, that, he, was yeah. A, he was a receiver who transitioned to the defensive secondary. Was actually a pretty good player his last couple of years. Yeah, um, but yeah, that was a yeah. I do. It, they did get. I think they got the onside kick because it was twenty three twenty one. I think they did too. Yeah, and they they onside kick and the hands team with Mike Wallace on it. I think the ball bounced off Mike Wallace's hands. And Arkansas got it. They had like one or two. There was almost no time left. I, was like, I think you're exactly seconds. right there. And they flung it a couple times. It didn't work out. And <laughs> time ran out. Um, yeah, that was uh, Casey Dick was the quarterback. Who, uh, yes. Who was also famous for throwing one of the greatest blocks um, on that long run that I can't remember who who had it uh, against LSU where he had a uh, pretty amazing blindside block. Uh, down the field to spring somebody loose. But um, all right, so so last one here. Um, going into um, his junior year, when do you anticipate Arch Manning committing and where do you think he's going? Oh, gosh, I have no idea about that. Just, <laughs> sorry, we did go down a rabbit hole with something else. But yeah, you're, you're totally out of my element with Arch Manning. I mean, I've read about him and I, I see the, the tweets and things like that. But I, anything I say would be, would be silly on that front. Cause I have no clue, but what, I mean, what are you guys hearing? What's the latest? Well, I, I, there's no way to know. Um, I mean, look, if, look, if anybody can, can keep things under wraps, it's the Manning family. And sure. I mean, you want to talk about, you know, COVID and, and NBA bubbles and soccer bubble. I mean, they've put a bubble around him and I mean, it is complete lockdown. Uh, he, I mean, I don't think he has a Twitter account. He hardly does interviews. Um, he, they're keeping it pretty close to the vest. I mean, I think he's Ole Misses to lose. And, like, if we want to go back to his uncle and 
David, you probably remember this as well as anybody. I mean, Peyton Manning chose Tennessee over Ole Miss because Ole Miss was on probation. Right. I mean, I, I think that that's pretty much a fact at this point. I think, I think Archie told him, like, look, if you want to go there, you can, but you're not going to be able to play in the postseason. You're not going to be able to play for an SEC title. They're on, you know, they can't do anything. So I think that that kind of pushed him to kind of do his own thing and go to Tennessee. I'm of the opinion that unless the NCAA storms back into Oxford and slams the hammer down again, I think that the way the offense is going right now and how Matt Corral has had so much success in year one, I think that the sales pitch for Ole Miss right now for Arch Manning is is pretty glaring in a positive way. Yeah, I agree totally with that. That you, you know, I, I do think just in my conversations with Archie over the years. He's the Manning that I've talked to the most. Um, There is a tendency to lean towards Ole Miss, obviously. And I think if Ole Miss is an attractive position to, you know, make it a good location for Arch, then I think that is the the leader in the clubhouse. And so I think with Lane Kiffin, what they showed this year, I would think unless there's some sort, you know, who knows of personal relationships and stuff like that. But just from the outside looking in, if I were a quarterback, um, Ole Miss would certainly be an attractive destination place right now. I, I mean, hard to disagree there. And, you know, like Nick was talking about with 2021 being a big year, year two of Matt Corral, you've got the preseason dark horse Heisman talk already. Um, you know, with with non-conference games, I think Ole Miss has a good shot to get to eight or nine wins. And then if maybe you catch a break, if the defense improves and maybe you knock somebody off you're not supposed to, you get to double digits. But going into that 2022 year and, and that third year being kind of, do you take the next step up? Do you get into that top tier of the SEC? Uh, I think that all signs kind of point to Kiffin having things rolling by then with, you know, on-field success, results, recruiting, all that. So it it kind of, it's almost like a perfect storm to where he can come in and, you know, if he, if he signs with Ole Miss and and getting into the program at the most opportune time with Kiffin getting things going. Oh my gosh. Can you imagine that? Just the hype that will be surrounding it. It'll make, it'll make the Shane Patterson hype look like nothing. Um, You know, when Shane Patterson signed, you know, it was like he was the prodigal son. Uh, but I mean, if you arch fan, it will be, and I'd love to be around for that. Um, but, but another thing, another point I'd like to make too, is not just with the offense putting up yards and points. It's also an offense that at least has elements. If your goal and most of these guys are is to play someday in the NFL. Um, you know, there's a lot of pro style elements. It's not like a gimmick offense. You know, they're running tight ends. They run the ball. It's a very pro style, um, Offense And yes, they get the ball, they move quickly and get up and down the field, but they ask their quarterbacks to do a lot and, and, you know, read coverages. And I think that it's going to be a, an offense that is attractive. You know, when NFL scouts are looking at the things Matt Corral is doing or whoever is under, under center at Ole Miss, it's, it's not a, you know, and I'm not ripping on Mike Leach because I think he does great things, but it's not, you know, five lines thrown every down, you know, something they just don't do very much in the NFL. You can see, how that might translate to the next level. So anyway, I, that just kind of reiterates, I think Ole Miss mm-hmm. be an attractive place for any well, quarterback right now, not just Arch Manning. Yeah. Well, and it, you know, buried the lead a little bit here, but I mean, Ole Miss, it's forgotten so much because of what Corral and the offense did through the air, but Ole Miss led the SEC in rushing this year. So it's not, yeah. it's not like, I mean, and that, and that's not an accident. They did that at Alabama, you know, where that, they yeah. ran the ball. You know, and, I mean, he did it. He did it at FAU. I mean, um, absolutely. What's they had uh, an all-American running back. At yeah, Nick probably knows I can't him. What, that kid's name, but he was good. Played for the place for the Bills. Um, but yeah, all-American guy ran for I think two thousand yards. But um, yeah, yeah, it's certainly not an offense that's asking you, like you said, to throw it fifty times and you know five touchdowns every game to have a chance. So. Um, so yeah, well, it's it's definitely something that's they got to continue to get better up front off you know on the offensive line. I think they got good news from Ben Brown today saying he was coming back. Um, so that's big for next season. By the way, it was uh, Devin Singletary. God, Devin Singletary. Okay, yeah. Um, so yeah, they've got that, and you know, I, I think Jerry Neely has a good shot to 
continue to get better as a running back and, and, and kind of make a case for, for himself to, to go to the next level with guys like Alvin Kamara having so much success as that kind of slasher running back. But um, all right, well, we won't hold you to that Arch Manning prediction. We'll, we'll speak it into existence another time. We still got a couple more years, but, um, but David, again, we, we appreciate your time joining us and coming back to, to recap year one of, of the Lane Kiffin era. It's uh, so far so good. It's been fun. Yeah, no, it's fascinating to watch it. You know, obviously covering Ole Miss like in person and being kind of on the inside was fun, but it's also interesting to see it develop from the outside. And I'm telling you guys like this 9 a.m., 10 a.m. SEC football is a, is a true life hack. Like if the West Coast weren't so far away, it's, it's incredible having, uh, you know, the, the Big Ten or the, the ACC games starting at like 9 a.m. and then going forward. It's, it's not bad having your morning coffee with it. Yeah, well, it's like uh, it's like coffee golf. I mean, it's coffee football. I mean, I don't hate that. Right. It's, it's like Magnum P.I. who used to watch those uh, Cubs games in Hawaii at 7 in the morning. Uh, <laughs> yeah. You know, like, I'm going real yeah, I mean, old. I, there. I'm, not, I'm not that old, but, you know, I, I do remember Magnum P.I. Yeah, I, I I was I was feeling like man, we're we're watching this Outback Bowl early because it was at eleven thirty. But, um, but all right, well, uh, well, that's David Brandt of the Associated Press. You can follow him on Twitter, get all of his stuff there, and at the Associated Press, obviously. But that's gonna do it for our Outback Bowl Hangover Edition. Thanks to David. Thanks to Nick for joining us. Thanks to you for listening. Uh, stay locked in at the site redcuprebellion.com. We'll have uh more Outback Bowl coverage, more recruiting, uh, and as we transition into basketball and then baseball season next month. Um, But for those two over there, I'm Zach. This has been Podcast Rebellion. Thank you all for listening. We are out.